Good morning. Please remain standing in body or in spirit for today's scripture lesson, a reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 37, verses 3 through 11. Listen for the word of God. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other children because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him an ornamented robe. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in this field. Suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Are you intending to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. He had another dream and told it to his brothers, saying, Look, I have had another dream. The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What kind of dream is this that you have had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and bow down to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And please be seated. And thank you so much, John, for that wonderful reading of the scripture lesson this morning. And good morning, Christ Church family and friends. As always, it is such a joy to be in worship with you this morning, whether you are here in person and those of you who are joining us online, it is a blessing to be with you this morning uh, as, as well. Well, friends, we are off to such a, a wonderful start for our, our Lenten season, our spiritual practices, our, our evening uh, last Wednesday for the, uh, the fellowship and the meal that we experienced, the, the imposition of ashes that took place in the morning at the noon hour and then in the evening, and uh, all the things that we'll be following. Let us continue to uh, focus in on those spiritual practices and just see what God does in our hearts and our spirits as we continue through these days. But right now… Let us join our hearts in worship, or join our hearts in prayer as we continue in worship. Well, loving God, we thank you. We thank you, God, for all that you have already had for us in this hour of worship. Lord, for the music, for the prayers, the words, the silence. Lord, we know that you would speak to us. And we pray, as you've already been doing, that you would open up our hearts, our eyes, our ears, our minds to all that you would have for us today. As always, Lord, I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So I want to start off today with a little game. And the 9 o'clock service really enjoyed this, so you've got a lot to live up to, okay? I just want you to know that. But the game is called Set Me Off, okay? So hey, this is how we're going to play it. I'm going to name a situation that really pushes your buttons, maybe, or sets you off. And if it really sets you off or pushes your buttons, um, go ahead and raise your hand, okay? So, you know, the question is, what, what sets you off? 
what really pushes your buttons, what gets you going in that way. So raise your hand if it's that person who blocks the intersection by pulling into the middle of it as their light is turning red and they know it's turning red, and then you're blocked when it turns green. Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. Or, or, or maybe, maybe uh, the person or the type of person that really pushes your buttons is that loud talker with a mobile phone in a public. I see hands going up before I even finish that. Oh, my goodness. Or maybe it's the humble bragger, okay? Maybe that really pushes your buttons. That's the type person. You see this a lot in the fitness community. Trust me, I know, uh, especially on social media. It goes something like this. Well, it was a little slow on my, uh, on my 75-mile bike ride today, but I'm a work in progress. I'm trying to do better at that. And um, go ahead. I, 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 uh, I never do that on Facebook. I do it in person. Uh, or maybe it's the conversation dominator, you know, that person that you never can get a word in edgewise. Is that one of them for you? Or maybe it's the one-upper, no matter how good of a day that you had, they've had an even better day. Or maybe it's the opposite. It's the conversation or the, or the, 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 uh, the one-downer, that you're in that conversation with that person and you just need some space. You need to share where your heart's broken. But my goodness, they have an even bigger problem every single time you talk to them. Maybe it's that person, or, or maybe just maybe. It's the chatty extrovert not respecting the space of the introvert that just needs a few minutes of peace and quiet when they get home from work. Sorry, Kathy, that I'm that person for, yeah. well, well, it's like this, really, it's like this. I mean, we get home from work, Kathy and I do, and, and I'm an extrovert, and she's an introvert, and I just want to share my day and process all the things that have happened in the day, and she just needs a minute, and I really struggle to give her that minute, but I'm, I'm getting better. You can raise your hand if you're an introvert, and people like me are like puppy dogs, and they drive you absolutely insane and push every button that you have sometimes. Well... We've played a fun little game, and we've had a little chuckle over it, and rightly so, but what we're talking about now is, is not a game, and it's not nearly so funny. If we were to somehow play this game with Jacob's family, with Joseph's brothers, if we were to ask them that same question, what type of person really bothers you? What type of person pushes your buttons? What type of persons, brothers of Joseph, sets you off? I bet they'd say something like this. Oh, who pushes my buttons? The kind of person? Well, the kind of person who has dreams. That's the kind of person who pushes my buttons. Or the kind of person who's favored by our father. That kind of person really pushes my buttons because the only reason they're favored is because they came last. Or maybe, maybe it's the kind of person who talks about their dreams all the time. Yeah, that kind of person. And their dreams consistently lift them up in a place of honor and somehow has some of the rest of us bowing down to them. Yes, yes, that kind of person pushes my buttons, I wonder if Joseph's brothers would say. People who are really smart, people who are really attractive, people who are naturally gifted, people who bring a bad report to our Father on us when we get home from the fields. Yeah, those people really set me off, the brothers would likely say. Obviously, they had their brother Joseph, or would have, in mind if they were to play such a silly game. And they would not have felt special. And they would not have felt favored. They would have felt less than. They would have felt discounted and not enough. Joseph, of course, was born to Israel in his old age, 
And Jacob favored him because of that. Joseph, as we know from the rest of the story, was attractive. He was gifted. He was a good leader. He was intelligent. He had everything going for him in his young life, and he wasn't afraid to let that show. And then he had these dreams that we heard about in the Scripture this morning, dreams about binded sheaves bowing down to his sheave, about the sun, the moon, and 11 stars. I wonder what the 11 brothers wondered, what is that 11 stars? What does, what does that even, even mean, how they bowed down to him? Well, I tell you what, when we read the text, we're told that the brothers, well, they weren't, they weren't just put off. They didn't just have buttons pushed by Joseph. They were beginning to hate Joseph. When we read the text, we are told that the brothers hate him three times. But with the dreams, when he tells the dreams, we hear two times that they hated him all the more. Joseph, he didn't, again, just, just push buttons. We were creating a situation here where hatred had found its way in. They hated him, we are told by the text, for his dreams and his words. It's as if they hated Joseph inside and out. They hated every single thing about Joseph. So today we're starting this new series in Lent on forgiveness. It's called Reconciled. And we all know that Jesus has a lot to say about, about forgiveness. It's rooted in the fact that because of his life, death, and resurrection that we are forgiven and reconciled to God as a people, and we are called to forgive others and be reconciled. We know that. And don't worry, we're going to be getting to those passages in the coming weeks. But before we get there, let's spend a couple of weeks here with the story of Jacob and his soon-to-be utterly shattered family. Because this is a story, a story of brokenness. It's a story of betrayal and violence and hatred, but it is also a story of forgiveness and reconciliation. It's a story that reminds us that real forgiveness, it's a process. It's a story that reminds us that that God is present and active in our pain and in our broken stories. So we're having a two-part series today and next week on the story of Joseph and his family and what happens for him. And as we get started today, I have three questions for us to consider. And the first one is this. Where do you find yourself in this story? Where do you find yourself in this story? As I've been reflecting on the text here the last couple of weeks, especially, I, I have uh, I've undeniably come to a place where I see myself in Joseph. Uh, I'm the, the youngest of three in my family, uh, and my parents, you see, not to get too private and personal about my family life, but they thought they were done with having children. Uh, my brother's eight years older, my sister is 12 years older than I, and I was the September surprise of 1966, thank you very much. And because I was the baby of the family, because I was so cute, uh, they just loved me so much. And I always heard sweet and wonderful things growing up about, about myself and about my life and where I was going in this world. And I didn't know where all that was going. It was going to end up for me, but I had a lot of love and I had a lot of encouragement. And part of it was because over time, and if you're a parent of multiple children, if you're anything like me, 
I was, a, I was a good parent to all, I think I was a good parent to all my children, but I was a better parent by the time Hannah, our third, came along just because I was a little more mature and had a little better sense of what this parenthood and this fathering thing really, really was, was about. And I think the same was true of my parents. They were great parents to David and Gail, but by the time I came along, you know, I was born to dad's old age. He was 36 years old when I was born. I mean, uh, I don't know how he had the energy to play with me even, but somehow he, he mustered it up. And so in a sense, I experienced, just personally, think about your birth order. Where were you and your family? Where do you find yourself in this story? Because some of you may have found yourself in that place of, of honor uh, because you were the youngest, or maybe for you it was because you were the oldest. I, I don't know, but you may find yourself in other parts of the story. It's important to locate ourselves in this story because uh, in case you've forgotten or have not read or need a little refresher, this story in, in Jacob's family, it's about to go badly, like really bad, really quickly, okay? Just to let you know that the brothers are out of their hatred for Joseph. They're going to throw him in a well. He doesn't die. He pleads for his life. It's pitiful. They sell him to a caravan of the Ishmaelites who are headed for Egypt. So they sell their brother into slavery, and then they take that, that, that outfit of his, and they kill an animal, and they put blood on it. They give it to their father, so he'll think that he's been killed, eaten by an animal. Joseph finally makes it to, to uh, Egypt, and he ends up uh, working for uh, a guy named Potiphar, who's the captain of Pharaoh's guard, and, and he does well because he's gifted and because he's intelligent and he can hold himself together well. And he's in charge of this man's household, but, well, this man's wife takes a shine to Joseph. And he rebukes her advances, and she tells a story, and Potiphar feels betrayed by Joseph and throws him in the prison. I'm going to stop right there because we'll pick up on the story next week, but enough to say that if you've ever thought your family was a little broken or that things weren't quite as good as they should be, look at this story and you'll feel better about your situation. Things couldn't have gone much worse than this. Where do you find yourself in this story? Maybe you find yourself like Joseph feeling favored, or maybe you feel or find yourself in Joseph at the bottom of a well, abandoned, lost, or rotting in a prison. Or maybe you find yourself in the brothers, feeling less than, feeling like you're not enough, that you're looked over, resentful, maybe even guilty of harming others. Or perhaps you find yourself in, J in Jacob in this story. You're a patriarch or a matriarch of your family, and you're wondering what happened. What happened to their faith? What happened to their relationships? Am I culpable to any of the dysfunction that's going on in my family? Or maybe you're Rachel. She's not mentioned here, but she had to have been wondering what was going on and felt so helpless to change or fix any of this. Or what about Potiphar? Maybe you find yourself in him feeling betrayed by somebody you trusted, even though he wasn't really betrayed. And I have to be honest with you. When I ask myself that story, where do I find myself in this story, I find myself in each of those places or have at one time or another in my life. Friends, we know this story. We have lived this story. 
We are living this story. Where do you find yourself in the story? The second question is this, who is the Joseph in your story? Who's your Joseph? Who is that? Remember when I started off by asking the type of person that sets you off, the type of person that really pushes your buttons. And I have to say that that was the funnest and easiest part about writing this sermon for this week, uh, just putting that little list together. And you seem to light up to it as well. We, we like to think about those people, don't we? But when asked about what type of person that sets us off, that pushes our buttons, I wonder if some or many or most, or perhaps all of us, not only can identify a type, but there's a face, there's a name with that question, with those situations. Let's face it, the, the, the type of person who sets us off is the person who lives with us, the person who works with us, the person who is a neighbor to us, a person who is a friend to us in real life or social media, a person who goes to school with us, a person who sits in church with us. During the Super Bowl this year, the commercial that got my attention more than all the others was one of those Jesus commercials. Did you know Jesus got a couple of commercials this time around? And it was one of those commercials that really, again, it caught my attention because I didn't know where it was going. It was the one that if you saw it, it started out showing images of all the, the strife and the, the, the arguing and the, the, the yelling and the, what appeared to be just hatred that groups and people had with each other. One of the, what, one of the images was, was somebody with a bullhorn screaming into, they were protester, counter, -pro, they were screaming into somebody's face. And, and I was thinking, oh my gosh, what are, what are we looking at? What are they trying to sell? And at the end of all of those very, very powerful, vivid images, very simple words came on the bottom of the screen, and these were the words, Jesus loves the people you hate. And I thought, wow, that's powerful. Hate is a strong word. And when I use it today, I'm not talking about just disagreeing with somebody or being angry with somebody. There are times when we should be in disagreement, and there are times certainly when we are justifiably angry. When I'm using the word hate, when I'm talking about hate today, I'm talking about what's going on with Joseph and his brothers. They hated him for his dreams and for his words. They hated him inside, and they hated him on the outside. They disregarded the very sacredness of his humanity. And when you think about it, friends, there's a fine line between somebody setting me off or pushing my buttons and beginning to disregard the sacredness of their humanity, of hating somebody inside and outside. Who's the Joseph in your story? Yeah, that question really bothers me too. The third question is this, how is God transforming your story? How is God transforming 
your story. Now, I'm not going to say a whole lot about how God is transforming Joseph's story because that's going to be mostly for next week's uh, worship and message, but rest assured that God is in the middle of this terrible mess and God is doing something incredibly redemptive with it. Rest assured that God had the, not only Joseph but the whole world in mind when Joseph was pleading for his life at the bottom of the well. Rest assured that God had a redemptive plan for Joseph and the entire world when Joseph was riding away in Potiphar's prison. The problem for Joseph, the problem for you, the problem for me is that sometimes it's really hard for us to really believe that God is doing something redemptive and beautiful when our world feels so shattered and broken and even ugly. Much more on that next week. But friends, I have to stand before you today and admit that that like always, as I'm standing before you in this space, that I'm not before you and coming to you from some sanitized theological or theoretical library or, or a laboratory or library. Uh, I'm, I'm dealing and struggling and, and doing all this stuff right with any one of us. And here's the thing. I have Joseph's in my life and in my story. Don't worry. It's not you. Uh, don't worry. It's not you. It's not you. But I have Joseph's in my story. People that I'm angry with, that I even struggle not to, not to want to somehow disregard the sacredness of their humanity. And to be a little bit more clear, that's happening with me these days at least. It's happening with me, with people who have similar positions that I do in this state, in our annual conference, uh, around our, our nation, mainly people who are pastors or, or clergy, who are, who are wading into the midst of, of the things that divide us as a denomination and are using lies and disinformation, pastors, fear to drive their congregations and others to places that benefit those very, mostly men. And it absolutely breaks my heart. And for some, it's complete strangers that I just might know by name, but for some, it has been friends. And in some cases, it has led to people, myself included, being categorized, put on lists, and dehumanized themselves. And yeah, it's made me pretty angry, and I'm pretty upset about it, and it's really been bad the last few months, and I've seen countless examples of it. And I want to tell you today that if you hear something outrageous about the United Methodist Church, that just doesn't sound quite right. Please feel free to check that. Please feel free to follow up with me, and I would be happy to share with you what I know and the truth as I see it, and even point you to somewhere where you can see and read and decide the truth for yourself. Well, while that is something that creates Joseph's in my life, while I struggle with being angry, sometimes it's right to be angry. There is a righteous anger, but I am going to resist the temptation never to fall into hate and to pray about what reconciliation looks like. And here's the thing and the reason I bring it up. The question is how 
is God in this story? You know, the question is, how is God transforming it? And I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I know God is transforming the thing I'm struggling with right now. God is in the midst. I know that your Josephs and your situations and the things that you're struggling with, God has a redemptive person or a purpose in mind for it. So friends, where, where are you in this story? Who is your Joseph? How is God transforming this story? Now, keep in mind, because I'm about to stop talking, that this sermon, it is unfinished. But that's okay, because the story is unfinished at this point, at least for our purposes. The story of forgiveness, yours, and reconciliation, it's unfinished. But that's okay, because what God is doing in the midst of my mess, in the midst of your mess, it's still being written. God is still moving. God is still acting. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that you indeed are a God of, of mercy and forgiveness. Lord, we come before your throne of grace and we seek just that, mercy and forgiveness. Lord, as we consider these questions, Lord, would you bring an awareness and enlivening in our heart that would seek your truth and seek your justice and your mercy. And oh God, as we experience that, help us to live it out and to pour it on others. Amen. Friends, for our invitation to Christian discipleship today, I invite you to identify your, your Joseph and pray for that person or those persons every day this week.